now as we come to the sacred hour where we get to hear your word. We pray, God, that you would open our eyes for our need for a deliverer. God, we know that we are sinners. God, that you would reveal that even more to us today, uh, that we are in desperate need of someone to, to be born to save us. Father, we pray that we would have courage, Lord, uh, to help those in need, God. That as we look at the life of Moses, God, and, and, and see his, his courage, maybe his um, impetuous desire to, to, to deliver, God, we pray that we would be those who are ready to deliver others, God, through our speech, Lord, pointing them to, to Christ. Father, we do pray that we would be welcoming of the foreigner in our midst, God, when we meet people who, who, who are lost and don't have a family, do not have a home, God, that we would be gracious and kind to be a lover of those who need you. So, Father, we pray that you would do even more than we could possibly ask or imagine at this hour. We pray that as I announce your word, that you would preach through me by the power of your Holy Spirit, allow the word of God to fall on fertile soil that would reap 30 to 60 to 100 of what is sold. I, I, so, and I pray that what the words of my mouth, the meditations of, of my heart, oh God, would be, would be pleasing in thy sight, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. God, we pray you would make much of Jesus through this message. We, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Harriet Tubman was born a slave around 1850, 1815. Uh, she's lived as a slave for most of her years until uh, she became grown up uh, like Moses. Uh, she escaped and fled to Philadelphia. When she was praying, she'd be praying for years that God would give her her, her freedom. And then when she realized that these prayers were going unanswered, she prayed that God would, would take the life of her, uh, her master. Later she repented of that, but because of her master dying, it sped along the process of her fleeing for um, freedom. She went to Philadelphia, and then she would make 19 trips back to the south, uh, primarily to Maryland, uh, to help rescue her family. Uh, Tubman was known to never lose a passenger on her railroad and was affectionately called Moses by friend and abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison. Uh, Tubman said these words. She said, now I've been free. I know what a dreadful condition slavery is. I have seen hundreds of escaped slaves, but I never saw one who was willing to go back and be a slave. Praise God that that was Tubman's experience. Sadly, when we think about our own human hearts and we think about the, the life of those in Egypt, the Israelites, that is not often true. Even though they, they desired freedom, there was a part in their heart that really reached back for slavery. And I believe, if we're honest, I think that there's a part of us who reach back for slavery as well. We want to be free. We want to live in the Lord, and yet sin is reaching back. Our hands are reaching back to hold on to that, that sin. And yet God, we know, wants to deliver us from that lifelong slavery, as we saw in Hebrews. And we pray that as we look at this text that we would have the hope, the earnest hope to trust in our Deliverer, the Lord Jesus. There's three things I want to draw out from this text in these three uh, big sections. The first, we see the birth of the Deliverer, the birth of the 
deliver. If you were, were here last week, we saw how God brought uh, the uh, Israelites into Egypt. There, there were 70, and all of a sudden they, they grew and they, they multiplied. They swarmed uh, the land. And we see almost see this recreation narrative in Exodus chapter 1. And uh, The Egyptian kings did not know Joseph, did not know the, the, the deliverance brought by Joseph, not only to Israel, but to Egypt. He says, we need to uh, destroy these Israelites lest they grow and join with our enemies and destroy us. So the end of chapter 1, you see that Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, and you shall let every daughter live. So the, those in power, those who were the rulers of the land, did not value life. But they told to all the people that you will cast the Hebrews into the Nile. And we get the, the birth of a deliverer. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his as his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw that it was a fine child. She hid him three months. Uh, we, we will see this as, as, the, as the narrative kind of unfolds, but this idea of, of uh, Moses' parents being a Levite, both Levites, was key in terms of the birth of, of the priesthood. It says that her, her mother, that Moses' mother, saw that he was a fine child. And in Acts chapter 7, it says beautiful. In Hebrews, it says he was no ordinary child. Really what the Hebrew reads is that his mother saw that his child was good. Now, if you remember back to Genesis chapter 1, that was the refrain. It was good. It was good. It was good. So what God is doing here is, is reminding us of God's creative power and God's creative purposes. One of the things we think about God's creative purposes is God not only creating this world by the word of his power. No, but we think that God is one who is creating a people for himself, for his good pleasure. God always creates things with his voice. And here we see that Moses, again, is good. And what is this mother to do? She knows she can't have this child forever. So in verse 3, she says, when she could hide him no longer. She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with pitamen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Right around that three-month age, she could no longer hide the noise of his cries. So maybe if we put them in this basket, this, this mini ark, if you will, he would go by the, the river's edge and the ambient noise of the environment of the, uh, of the wild would cover and muffle his, his screams. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Isn't it great to have an older sister to care for a younger sibling? Older sisters, can I get an amen? Thank you for being so enthusiastic. (laughs) Um, It's a gracious thing to have those family caring for for each other. Uh, And what we see here is we see that uh, the sister was was standing at a distance. Now verse 5, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe the river while her young women walked beside the river. Now they came down to the river to bathe rather than bathing in, in the palace because they, they believed in the sacredness of the river. And you see that it's important as the, as the narrative um, continues to unfold, especially in chapter uh, 6 and 7 and 8 when we think about the plagues and how God is, is showing that he is the one who's over creation. Well, the story goes on in verse 6 when she um, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman. She took it, and when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. That crying could have been the reason why this woman was, was there. Uh, they weren't there forever. The baby could have been sleeping. But at this moment, in this time, God ordained this baby to, to cry. And what happened to this daughter of Pharaoh? 
she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Right there you see that something happened maybe in the countenance of Pharaoh's daughter that gave uh, Moses' sister, Miriam, you know, that later is, is named, hope that maybe Pharaoh's daughter is different. Now you would think that Pharaoh was the one who said all Hebrews go into the Nile, that Pharaoh's daughter would, would follow along with her, her, her father to, to do his bidding. But when she saw the child, pity welled up in her heart. We know that those emotions come from God. God gave this emotion of pity for this child. And quickly thinking, the sister kind of jumped in and said, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? Now, we don't know what was going on in, in Pharaoh's daughter's head. She could have been thinking many things and the, the, the risk that she was taking on, on, on herself to, to go and defy her, her father's wishes. But all she saw was a child in, in front of her. And all of a sudden she got an idea. Hey, why don't you let me go get her, get this, a, a nurse, so someone to nurse this child for you. Huh. That sounds like a pretty good idea, right? So Miriam left. Um, Pharaoh's daughter said, go, and she called, the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Just imagine what's going through Moses' head. Moses' wife, uh, Moses' mother, I'm sorry, uh, Jochebed, uh, what's going through her mind. She finds out that her, her child is down by the river's edge to, to, to protect her. Miriam comes running in and says, Pharaoh's daughter wants you to come and see him, see her. What was going through her mind? The one, her, her worst fears are realized, that, that my child is going to die. My, the one who is good, my, my, my precious baby is now going to die. And, and, and Miriam, no, no, it's good, it's good, come, come. And instead of being uh, having her child taken from her, in that very moment, she says, here is your child back. And will you nurse the child and we'll pay you for it? Isn't it just like the Lord to take circumstances that are difficult and completely do a 180 with them? It's exactly what happens here. Now we know that this uh, relationship with uh, Moses and his his family is probably traced throughout the his life. We don't exactly have a whole lot of details. What happened between Moses was his, his birth here, three months old, all the way to 40. But we can assume that, that Moses had a relationship with his sister, with Aaron, and with his mother and father. So in verse 10, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. It's interesting here, just to give you the language in the Hebrew for Moses is very similar to the Egyptian name for son. So some way that this Pharaoh's daughter was able to give him a name that was true to her Egyptian heritage, as Mose, or also true to the, her Hebrew uh, origins of the child being drawn out. You know, in that day, they, they didn't name the child right away. They would name the child later on based on some kind of circumstance which the child was, was born. Now, one of the things I want you to see, kind of like the big picture here, those are the details of the story, but what is God doing here? Well, God is, is trying to show you how he is the one who's going to bring salvation. I said that Moses was put in that mini ark. And I believe this is what many of those early uh, Israelites would have, would have saw. They would have saw that God saved Moses through the ark. Now God is going to bring salvation again through the ark. He's going to draw out salvation through the water. So in, in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 
3, uh, the reference will be on, on the screen. Uh, we see this, that Moses is, or uh, Peter is making a very similar point. So beginning in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but be made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because formerly they did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, we think that why did um, Jochebed put her baby in the ark? She probably was familiar with this story, familiar of God saving through an ark. There was other ancient traditions that that, that he, she could have um, also been flying, uh, going along with, but obviously as, a, as an Israelite, connected to Israelites' uh, history and, and, the, and the patriarchs, she would have heard the story of, of Noah. So this, this salvation. And the point I want to bring to you in verse 21, it says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. God brings salvation through what? Through the appeal to him for a clean conscience. Well, we, we, we appeal to God to clean us because we know that we are unclean, that we are sinners, and we deserve, like Moses, we deserve death. We deserve death because of our sin. We know this physically in, in, in the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh said, throw all Hebrew uh, male sons into the, to the river. Well, according to God's word, the Bible says all sinners, all who are born in sin, should be cast into outer darkness, should be cast into the, to the bottomless pit, should die. And yet, he says, because there is a deliverer born, right, like Moses, which we see is the Christ, the Savior of the world, we can now appeal to him to clean us. Because God came, was born as a baby, came out of Egypt after... in in um, Herod's day, that he wanted to kill all the male children as well to preserve his power, just like uh, Pharaoh did. And Jesus and his family fled to Egypt, and they came out of Egypt, and Jesus lived the life that we were called to live, perfectly obedient to the Father. And yet he died as a sinner on the cross, for sinners as a cross, not as a as payment for a sinner. He was perfectly innocent. And God showed that he was accepted that sacrifice by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Said He is now that he is declared to be the Son of God in his resurrection. So now we can appeal to God for a clean conscience through the what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think what God is doing here in, in Exodus is to remind us that he is the one who brings salvation. He's the one who brings hope when there is no Time and time again, if you look at the nation of, of, of Israel, when God wanted to bring deliverance, he bought a baby. He did it time and time again. God is working. He is not blind to our plight. Just look at chapter 2 of Exodus. Look at the end of chapter 2. It says, During those days, those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. 
it, it's interesting when you, when you when you read this, it, it's almost like after Moses lived for for forty years. Uh, as a man, and then 40 years in, in the wilderness, that's when God remembered his covenant. But no, God remembered his covenant far before that happened because he, he remembered the, the birth of Moses. God sends us help before we need it. Sometimes he has to open our eyes and make us call upon him so that, that we would realize our need. Well, let's go to this as the story continues. The battle of the deliverer. The battle of the deliverer. And verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, we don't know a whole lot of Moses' life. All we know that he was a baby, then all of a sudden he, he grew up. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. And so he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? When Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. He sat down by the well. So why did Moses go out? He's been there for 40 years, right? Uh, he's been kind of this dual citizen, right? He is a Hebrew. He, he would have known that he was a Hebrew. Uh, he probably would have heard that often from his, from his siblings. Would have been raised as an Egyptian in terms of his education and his intellect and his language, and yet he knew that he was uh, going to be by birth a, a Hebrew. It says that when he had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. In Acts chapter 7, it kind of gives a, a highlight, which Whit read earlier, Stephen's sermon. Acts seven twenty three and 25, it says, It came in, in his heart. He thought that he would understand that God was giving them salvation in his hand, but they did not. There's this, this thought that he came to look upon the burdens of his people, that he wanted to come and bring them salvation. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 and 20 through 26, let me read that. Hebrews 11. beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, we don't know all that was going through Moses' head, but according to the writer of Hebrews and, and Stephen, that, that Moses was no longer satisfied to be called and identified as an Egyptian. He no longer wanted to be identified by the world. He wanted to be identified by the Lord and his people. So we read in Exodus, it says, his people twice. He went out to the burdens of his people. He was moving away from being known as an Egyptian, but he wanted to be known as, as one who belonged to God. 
And was Moses received in his, his attempts to bring salvation and victory? Well, we see as the narrative unfolds, when he, the next day after he killed this first Egyptian for beating a Hebrew and hid, hid the body, we know this was premeditated because it says in the text that he looked to the left and he looked to the right to see if anyone was around. He struck the Egyptian down and then disposed of the body. Thinking that he was okay, what happened next? The next day, he sees two Hebrews struggling together, and he says, why did you strike your companion? And he says, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? The people of Israel, the Hebrews, had wanted nothing to do with the one who was born in the castle. One who was, who's never worked hard labor. One who was not treated ruthlessly as a slave. Why should we listen to you? In uh, World War, before World War II began, uh, right around 1939, July, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer came to the United States uh, to seek asylum. Uh, his friends said, come here with everything going on with Germany and, and Hitler's rule. Come to America and we will give you uh, asylum and, and rest, a, a safe haven. Uh, and, and after he got to America, he went back to Germany very quickly. Um, and this is why, this is what he said. He says, I've come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I shall have no right to take part in the restoration of the Christian life in Germany after the war, unless I share in the trials of this time with my people. Bonhoeffer knew that he was the only way he was going to speak into post war Germany when that conflict would eventually end is if he stayed and experienced the trials while he was there. He had to identify as one of his people and go through the same trials as they did. Well, Moses tried to identify as the deliverer, the one who was going to to be one of his people without the trials. As we see, God had another plan. Pharaoh heard of Moses' killing of the Egyptian and realized that he was a threat. Then Moses no longer identified himself with the Egyptians, but he was identifying himself with the Hebrews. And one of the, the, the fears that was in the, the, the ruling class of the Egyptians is that, that the Israelites would grow, would swarm, would join their enemies and cause a revolt and overtake Egypt. Moses was now a threat. Moses knew that, so he fled. Now it's interesting in this, in this passage that when you, when you see... So let me say this. I feel like I'm all over the place this morning. So in, in Exodus chapter 2, we have kind of, we know the end of the story. So we have the New Testament. So we have kind of knowing what's going to happen in the New Testament. Well, those who were reading the Bible at, at that time only had Genesis. So now they're reading Exodus. So we have kind of progressive revelation. So God reveals more things over time. So when we're, read, when we're reading in Exodus, we always see is that the Israelites rejected Moses. But if you look and you, you see how Stephen preaches his sermon in Acts 7, what he's trying to reveal is that the people of Israel did not see God's hand. They did not see that God wanted to deliver them from slavery. 
And we, we know that because as, as even after God came back with Moses and we see all these plagues and all these mighty works that God does and even the parting of the Red Seas and them walking across on dry land and the water coming down and destroying the Egyptian army. We see in, in Exodus 16 and Exodus 17, what do we see the people doing? Why do you take us here? We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. Even though they physically left Egypt, their hearts were still there. If you, if you look and read uh, Hebrews 3 and 4, what, what we see is that the Israelites disobeyed God in the wilderness. So God wiped them out and did not allow them to go into the promised land. So in, in, in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, he says, Our fathers refused to obey him or Moses, but thrust him aside in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. And at the end of his sermon in Acts, he says, You stiff-necked people, you are doing exactly what the, the Israelites did while they were in Egypt. They are rejecting the deliverer. Moses was a precursor to Christ. He was the one born taken out of the water, come to, to deliver us from their, from their slavery. And the Israelites would not believe. And when Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross and he, he had the exodus from the grave and delivered us from our sin and gave us salvation, the people of Israel did not want it. They, they could not see that Jesus came to, to deliver them. They were being like their forefathers, stubborn and Rebellious. Jesus, or Moses is modeling what Jesus did for us. Moses came to his own, and his own did not receive him. This is exactly what Jesus did. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. We have to recognize how we have rejected Christ before we can embrace him. This is what Moses, this is what Stephen was doing in his sermon in Acts 17 or Acts uh, 7, is that we have to realize that we are often stiff-necked people, stubborn, not realizing that God was coming to bring us salvations. Moses had to make a choice. And I believe we all have to make a choice. Are we going to choose Christ, the reproach of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, or the fleeting pleasures of sin? That's what it says in Hebrews, right? Where he's, I chose not the, the fleeting pleasures of the world's sin, but I choose the reproach of Christ. Beloved, one of the, the dangers of our day is how much sin is celebrated. Sin is celebrated all across America. And sadly, sin is often celebrated even within the walls of the church. The question for us, are we going to choose Christ or the fleeting pleasures of sin? And I know there's people here today who are right now living for the fleeting pleasures of sin. And I pray that this message is going to open your eyes to see that there's something far better. Moses was in the palace, dwelling with the, with the king, and gave it all up. Why? Because he was looking for his reward. He was looking for the Christ, the Messiah the one who was going to bring him true deliverance from slavery and death. So are you going to live for the world or are you going to live for Christ? 
it says that when he fled, Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And then it says he sat down by a well, which turns us to our last point, the bread of the deliverer, the bread of the deliverer. We see Moses still wants to be a deliverer. This God put something in him to, 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 to see oppression and to see um, unrighteousness and something to well up in him to bring deliverance. Now, Moses wanted to bring deliverance to his own people, but his people did not receive him. Jesus wanted to bring deliverance to his own people, but his people did not receive him. So he went to those outside of the camp. Verse 16. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon? This could be a question because this was a normal occurrence for the shepherd to drive them off, or this could be something that was unique, right? The answer that they gave was really expected, unexpected. They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. You see what Moses did there? Moses is called the Egyptian, so he, he probably still looked like an Egyptian, even though that he wanted to identify himself as a, as a Hebrew, because remember, he was probably still in his, his royal attire when he fled and sat down by the well. He looked like an Egyptian. And what does it say? That he drove the shepherds uh, away and even drew water for us and watered the, the flock. That Moses has this, this desire to serve and to be one of, of, of righteousness. Verse 20, and he said his daughters, said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. So we see this idea of, of, of bread. The reason why I draw that word out is, is, is Reuel or, or Jethro is, is opening up his home to someone. In the ancient culture, if you had bread with someone, if you broke bread with them, if you had, had a meal, what you were saying is that you are welcome here. You are welcome. So we have this pagan worshiper, Midian, in Midian, the priest of Midian, Jethro, Reuel, saying, you are welcome in my home. The deliverer is, is welcome here. Give him some, some bread. That's exactly what the Gentiles did to the Lord Jesus. Those who were treated as dogs, who were, who were pagan worshipers, who were outside the camp, God brought them in because they were receptive to the deliverer. It says, as the story goes on, and Moses, verse 21, was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. You know, the hope for Moses to be a redeemer of the Hebrews was kind of lost. He said, I tried. I went, I, I tried to deliver them. They, they, they didn't want to have it. So he, he fled. He had to flee or else he would have been killed by Pharaoh's hand. So it says that he was content to stay here. He may have thought from time to time as he shepherded the flocks throughout the, throughout the years, what if maybe I should go back and deliver uh, the Hebrews? But no, he was content to, 
to turn the page and forget that which was in his heart. Many silent days and nights dreaming of what could have been. And yet, God will not forget his plan or his purposes. You know, one thing that Moses needed to understand, that Moses needed to be to suffer. He needed to go through trials before he was going to be accepted. That's exactly what happened to our Lord. The Lord Jesus had to be rejected and turned aside in order to bring salvation. That's exactly what he did. Beloved God cares not only how we succeed, but who we are when we do. God doesn't want us only to succeed and to prosper. He wants us to do that with humility and with a godly character. So sometimes God brings us through trials. God brings us through the desert. Some of you are in a desert right now, and you're saying, God, why am I here? And God's saying, trust me. Let me do a work in you before I do a work through you. God's people needed to learn and grow. Not only Moses, but God's people needed to to have this desire in their heart to call out to God, as they do at the end of the chapter. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. Their cry of rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Do you see what God is doing in you? Are you merely frustrated with what God is not doing through you? Let me ask you that question again. Do you see what God is doing in you? Or are you merely frustrated with what God is not doing through you? The main goal of the Christian life is not prosperity. The main goal of the Christian life is not to be used in a mighty way by God. The main goal of the Christian life is to know God and to become like Him. That's our goal. And if God wants to bring us through trials in order to do it, and our circumstances are not what we want, let it be. Because our desire is to be like God for His glory, for His purposes. So I pray that you would trust whatever season, whatever valley you're in, whatever you have run from, I pray that you would find that well. And you would trust that God's work is happening in you, even if you can't see it happening through you. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We pray, God, that you would help us live for you and for your glory. God, I pray that as we are often like uh, Israel, not seeing what you're doing, God, but pushing you aside. God, I pray that we would repent of that. We would turn back to you, seeing that you're moving in and through our trials to form us more into your image. So God, I pray that we would be content not to dwell in the wilderness, but that we would be content to dwell in the wilderness with you as you're working in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.